You are listening to At Home, the podcast with Walkie MC. Each week, our team at Wakarusa Missionary Church invites you to join us for a conversation around the topics that shape our lives at home and beyond. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. And welcome to episode number seven, At Home with Walkie MC. Uh, so glad to have each and every one of you here. Just as a reminder, we want to talk about the people we've got around the table, our family ministry pastor, Angie Brenneman. Hi, Angie. Hi, Joel. And our lead pastor, Chris Knight, over across the table. Present. So good to see you. It's uh, I've been away on vacation for a week, and uh, just being in the same room with you guys is refreshing already. Uh, we'll see if I feel the same way uh, 45 minutes from now. We're going to get into some deep, deep conversation. Uh, but uh, really what we want to absolutely do is welcome our guest, Steve Etner. Uh, Steve serves as the founder and president of the Pure Man Ministry. And uh, as as always is the case, uh, Steve shared with our congregation, uh, Walker Missionary Church here this past Sunday for our uh, Sunday se- Sunday session, uh, talking on the ever light topic of just human sexuality and of of living a life that is giving our whole selves to God um, and all of all that that involves. And uh, we we were just uh, incredibly delighted that uh, you were able to share with us, and we're glad to have you back in here again for this podcast recording. So thank you, Steve, for being here. Oh, listen, <clears throat> excuse me, it is an honor, and I'm looking forward to this discussion. Yes, well, uh, everybody that has been on the show so far has has walked away mostly untraumatized. So we. Uh, <laughs> And this, I mean, I say that you know jokingly, but the whole idea is we really want to further the conversation. We want to we want to dive deep, and we know that sometimes some of the best things come out in the midst of conversations. We're further processing kind of the things that we've been learning. So, um, let's just start, Steve, if I could, with kind of giving us that just a recap of what you covered in our Sunday session, kind of the thirty thirty thousand foot flyover, some of the key concepts that. Uh, you were hoping people would walk away with uh, at, at the completion of that time together. Sure, sure. Well, there's really really one primary concept that I wanted to drive home, and, and it was consistent throughout the entire session, and that is this. The problem that we struggle with is not lust. It's not porn. It's not masturbation. It's not the affair. It's not sexually acting out. It's not alcohol, drugs, anger, worry, gluttony, gambling, you name it. That's not the problem. That's the byproduct that the real problem is a worship disorder. Who's sitting on the throne of my heart? And if I can get that dealt with, then everything else is going to fall into place. And and that alone, uh, it's it said so, I think so simply, but obviously all of us are on this journey of ask, repeatedly asking that question. I know for myself, the person that sits on the throne of my heart uh, can be it can be a different person each day if I mm. it, it's not just an automatic uh, an automatic thing of once you said okay Jesus is on the throne where he should be in my life and that means automatically that tomorrow it's going to be the same way uh, because there's also conversation about a, a practice basically a, a, a posture of continually submitting ourselves uh, to Jesus in that way. It's a daily choice, daily choice. I love it. I love it. And, and so we want to, we want to dive in to, as we are making these daily choices, as we're being disciples of Jesus day to day to day, um, and putting that in front, uh, the, the calling that we have, uh, for that. We also want to just ask, as we always do, the practical questions that are, uh, following your Sunday session with us, some of the questions that were sent into us that really help form our conversation because our, 
our heartbeat here at Walk EMC is to meet people right where they are in the day-to-day life, in the real struggle that is, um, and not just have some sort of high, lofty religious conversation about this, but rather um, ask the practical questions about what it means to follow Jesus in these various categories that we've been we've been covering, um, what it means to follow Jesus into these things. So, Angie, start us off with kind of framing the conversation, the, the questions that we received in. Um, what is our, yeah, what's our, our next jumping off point in the conversation? Well, uh, Steve, you kind of uh, hit a lot of uh, an overview, like you said, of mm-hmm. a worship disorder. But you, you sat on one specific um, thought that I, I think that everyone needs to gain a concept of. Because we know um, in our lives that sin is going to be part that we are sinners, our uh, nature is uh, to go towards um, ourselves, go towards mm-hmm. the flesh. But actually, God calls us as disciples to uh, focus on him. And it, uh, you mentioned Matthew 5, uh, 6, 24, no one can serve two masters mm. for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both. Mm-hmm. And you shared this concept, and I really want you to talk a little bit about this whole idea of King me and God and how this ties to this heart transformation, like what you said, this worship disorder that we often have, and how we so often get focused on King Me. Yeah, I, I think a major piece to all this is the fact that our natural inclination is to go to the mindset that says, I want, I need, I deserve, I desire, I have to have, I can't live without. It, it's, it's all about me. One of the things I, I shared uh, Sunday was the fact that when King Me is sitting on the throne of my heart, three things happen simultaneously. Number one, I'm worshiping King Me. So everything I think, everything I say, everything I do is going to be about me. That's just the way it is. The second thing that happens simultaneously is I'm going to expect you to worship me. I mean, after all, I'm the king. So when a driver cuts me off, and I know you guys don't relate to this at all, but uh, you know, when a driver cuts me off and an Amish buggy, <laughs> and I want to I want to lay on the horn or flash my lights or whatever, you know, because he inconvenienced me. He wasn't worshiping me. When my wife isn't seeing things the way I want her to see it, she's not agreeing with me. She's not accepting my opinion, my stance. There's conflict. There's argument. It's because King Me's on the throne, and I want her to worship me. When my phone isn't acting correctly, you know, I, I get ticked with my phone, and I throw <laughs> – well, I don't throw it, but I set it down rather roughly. It's not worshiping me. And the third thing that happens simultaneously is the fact that I expect God to worship me. Because God, you know, I, I've been doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm going to church, putting money in the offering plate. I'm treating my family well. You owe me. Why aren't you blessing me? And uh, so with that mindset, basically what I like to say is I do what I do because in my heart I want what I want. Uh, Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What I think becomes what I do. So when king me is, is predominant in my thought process, that's what's going to come out in my words, my attitude, my behavior. Everything about me is going to be about is, is me. Mm-hmm. And so with this whole idea of the heart and the transformation of the heart, and that we've, we've seen this come up numerous times, guys, that we all have this God-sized hole, and we talked about it in addiction. We talked about it in technology. We talked about it in mental health. Everything, we all have this empty spot that we try to fill. And so I think um, in our discussion yesterday, I think you laid this out as we try to um, fill it with the things that uh, drive us for our own pleasures. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what it 
looks like. It can be um, anything. We are still looking at ourselves in that. And so one of the things you um, brought up is that there's some uh, ways to be I guess you could say aware of how you lean towards this. And you gave us some um, tools of where you talked about um, what we look for and how we choose to worship God. Can you kind of give us just a little bit of um, some of that here um, in our podcast that you shared yesterday? Yeah, I I think the important thing is um, Matthew 6.33, that I'm seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. What does that look like? Uh, how, how do I know whether I'm doing that or not? Um, if I'm opening up my Bible and I'm, I'm starting to read Scripture and I'm looking for it for a warm fuzzy, I'm looking for it for, through the Scriptures for that which is going to uh, going to make me feel better, that I can walk away happy, um, I, I'm going to the Scriptures with the wrong reason. The Bible isn't about me. It's not for me. It's about my Heavenly Father. It's about how to grow in my walk and my relationship with Him. So that's really where all of this starts. Is just being in the Word of God, filling your mind and filling your heart with the Word of God. The, you know, Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And every time you open it, read it, study it, memorize it, listen to it, it discerns the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Um, so the, the, the key, the core to all of this is being in the Word of God. That's the starting point. Mm-hmm. And we all know that we've heard the uh, saying, garbage in, garbage out, mm-hmm. right? And how we live our life depends on what we put in into our hearts, into our minds. And so I, I agree with that. And that was one of the questions. How can we change this approach in our, um, in our look and, and how we go forward to affect real heart transformation that comes from within? And I think you said that you got to devour the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Steve, I just want to – it's a question that I want to ask because I, I think I'm hearing this from you. You know, so oftentimes, and I know in our circles, uh, I, I've heard it – in multiple ways, but the essential essence of the the demand upon the Bible is how does the Bible apply to like apply to me? How do I apply the Bible to my life? And you know what I've always found interesting is like doesn't that question really assume that the stable thing in that relationship is you, mm-hmm. the person? Mm-hmm. And and I what I've heard so often is is you know because it kind of falls into this king me thing a little bit here where. I'm going to the Bible to serve my uh, preconceived agenda about what I want it to accomplish in me versus what you've just laid out here is a, is a kind of a theology of the Bible where it's like, no, the Bible reads you. The, the, the Bible looks into the, the mm-hmm. deepest part. In, and I think I just at a practical level, if we can approach our scripture reading that way where it's like, seek me, O Lord, and know my, you know, know my anxious thoughts, you know, uncover anything that is unrighteous within me. That is a man. It seems like a really different posture, I, mm. I, I think, than to maybe what is kind of commonly in our evangelical circles and otherwise. It's like, well, how does how does this passage apply to my life? Well, um, is that the first question that we ought to be asking? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, Matthew twelve thirty four says, "Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." Your words reveal your heart. Well, what do we call the Bible? It's God's word. It's God speaking to us. And when I open up the Bible and I'm looking for what does God have to say about me, I'm listening to the wrong voice. I'm not hearing his voice. And, and But if I open the scriptures and I say, okay, God, reveal yourself. Show me. Let me, let me get a glimpse of, of who you really are. Uh, we're in for a world of blessing. Oh, and boy. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good. Good, good. 
Yeah, I think you said um, that we're going to kind of – I would like to lay out what the problem is and some of the stats that you talked about yesterday. But you – this is kind of like the answer before we lay out the problem <laughs> that you said it, our approach has to be 100 percent biblical. Correct. And I think we have to lay this groundwork because that helps us understand that no matter what stats we hear or what's going on, if we don't approach this God's way, there's not going to be true heart transformation. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and with, with those who come to me for counseling in this area, in this issue, um, most of the time they're coming to me because they've been caught, because the wife is threatened to, to leave them. Uh, if they don't get this fixed, they're going to lose their job. Uh, so, so they're coming to me saying, help me fix this. And as I opened uh, in our podcast here, uh, the problem isn't the lust, the porn, the masturbation, the sexually acting out. So we, that, that's not what needs to be fixed. What needs to be fixed is my heart. I can't change the behavior till I first change the heart. And it starts, and Angie, you're, you're spot on. It starts being with, with the Bible, with being 100% biblical in our approach. So, Steve, uh, the, the topic of stats just came up just a second ago. And, and when you were presenting on Sunday, I was ready for uh, astronomical statistics. I, I love statistics, and I was ready for them. But yet every time I hear statistics like this, I am still floored because I didn't think big enough to, mm. to see how just how deep of a problem this is. Uh, according to Google reports, you said yesterday uh, that for 2020, for the year 2020, in uh, there were 5.6 billion searches for topics across the spectrum of pornography, and that equated to 12,600 individual separate searches for pornography every second. Every second of every day for the entire year, 12,600 searches, individual searches for pornography every second last year. That is staggering to me. Other, st- uh, other statistics that came out yesterday, over 70% of Christian men admit to viewing porn, and over 33% of Christian women admit to viewing porn. Uh, one that, that stuck out to me, obviously, as a pastor and one who works with groups of pastors throughout the nation, uh, was this one. Upwards of 57% of pastors and 64% of youth pastors admit to struggling with pornography, and that is, as you indicated, the ones who actually admitted right. that that is the case. When I look at this, I think of uh, how prevalent pornography is in our society and in our culture. Obviously, it's a, it's a very, very prevalent situation. And yet there's such a shame to it. There's such a, uh, I don't ever want to get caught in this addiction. Instead of trying to own it and, and get better, we tend to hide it, bury it, and not deal with it because of the fear of ramifications and so on like that. So I want to I want to shift our topic for just a second to the topic of accountability. How uh, my desire for Walk EMC and my desire for churches going on throughout the, maybe in our listening area or around the world would be for churches to create healthy cultures where we can adequately deal with sin without shaming everybody uh, through the process, but really get to the heart of it. What does healthy accountability look like in your mind? I think the first thing to recognize about accountability, healthy accountability, I I like to call it authentic biblical accountability, uh, is to recognize the fact that it's not, it it must not be about fear. It's not about shame-based change. It's not about stopping doing something so that I can avoid that awkward conversation with with my accountability partner or that late night phone call confessing my, my latest failure. 
Yes, that's part of it. That is, there is certainly an element that has to be there. But I think if we can look at accountability more from the perspective of discipleship, of building one another up and encouraging one another, praying with one another, it's not being judged. Um, and that my sin, and this is something I, I share a lot with my counselees, is that the sin that you're struggling with was already dealt with on the cross. Jesus paid for that. And, and so the enemy wants you to live in that shame. He wants you to live in that. But part of accountability is, is recognizing the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ that cleansed me from all of my sin, that has forgiven me, and I can move forward. But, but I'm so stuck in my, my habit and stuck in my addiction that I'm not sure how to do that. That's where a good accountability partner comes in and, and helps me understand my, my bad. I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this. And, and my accountability partner is there to help me think it through and process through, not to judge me, but to just help me, me think through why, why did I do what I do, did? What, I, what was going on in my mind? What was I thinking at that time? How did I reason that out? And uh, Romans 6.21 is a really powerful verse where Paul says, what benefit did you reap at that time from the thing that you're now ashamed of? That's a great accountability verse. In your opinion, when it comes to accountability, what role does a spouse play? Uh, because some people say, well, I talk to my spouse about it. Uh, actually, uh, talking to several different people over the last year uh, without obviously breaking confidences, I asked, so does your spouse know about your pornography problem? And they said, yeah, absolutely. Mm. And and I kind of was a little taken back. But what role does a spouse play in accountability versus having uh, um, a man to a man, a, a female to a female uh, accountability? I, I What's think, the difference? I, I think the critical piece here is uh, understanding the motivation for having the spouse as the accountability partner. Um, sometimes the motivation may be, I don't want anybody else to know. Uh, there's a king me element there. There's there's pride that's sitting there. I, I don't want anyone else to to judge me. Uh, I can't hide it from my wife, so she might as well be my accountability partner. Uh, I, I but I I do not ever recommend that your spouse is your accountability partner. Uh, with with the battle that I went through, uh, I battled with this for over thirty years in my own life. Uh, Heather not once was my accountability partner. But she had the opportunity, she had the, the, the go ahead from my accountability partners and from me that at any point in time she had a question, she had a fear, she had a doubt, she could go to my accountability partners and say, I'm not sure that's, that Steve's being truthful with you. And, and she would do that and they would confront me. Uh, but that eased the, the pressure off of her. And, and so I, I really do not recommend that a spouse becomes an accountability partner. Um, I wanted to just kind of hit this on the women's side. I think sometimes we talk about the men all the time and we don't talk about the women. And um, and I think we even kind of need to define it a little bit where this um, culture leads us. Um, it's almost, um, I guess you could say, you say, oh, hey, this. what about this movie? Oh, I saw this with a friend. Or we, let's go as a girls group and watch this a movie or read this book or, you know, that kind of thing. And, and Steve, I just wanted to um, hear a little bit of what you've seen in the culture for women and what it's, um, why this is also an issue that we can't just place um, on a, um, on a man and his, um, the way he's made, but this is something that women are required to, to, to live in pure and to have pure thoughts, to have pure, um, motives, to have a pure heart before God. Um, talk to us just a little bit about that. To begin with, it's a little bit of a challenge for me to talk yes. from that perspective because <laughs> I'm not a woman. Right. Um, but in the experience over the years that I've had, um, 
women I got to be so careful because I don't want to offend any of the women listening and because that's not my intent at all but my understanding is is that God's created the woman's brain to function differently than than a man's uh, women, I, I've I've heard the the expression. I don't remember where it came from. That the women are spaghetti brained and men are waffle brained. The men think in boxes, and I get that. Um, and a woman thinks emotionally. And so, yeah, the the movies, the the theater, the the Hallmark things, you know, all of that stuff plays on the emotions, and uh, it can be attractive to a woman. One of the things that. Uh, my research and my study and, and some of my experience has revealed is the fact that the, the reason a woman struggles with pornography is not the same as a man. Um, a, a man is, is looking more for the pop, the rush, rush the sexual, mm, where a woman is more looking for the thrill of the relationship, the, the, the feeling appreciated uh, by someone, um, wanted and needed by someone, and that has an appeal uh, to a woman. Um, but in addressing like going to – let's go to the movies together or whatever. Um, wow, there, there's a <laughs> – how long's the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I know. Um, but, but I guess in short what I would say is that I would, I would highly, very strongly caution you gals that are listening to be very careful about what you allow yourself to see, what you allow yourself to feed upon uh, because what we see influences what we think and what we think impacts what we do. And so uh, even those, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> innocent type movies that, that uh, you know, there's no violence, there's no swearing, there's no nudity, but uh, there's a lot of emotional relationship and that type of stuff. It, we, we can get sucked in and, and it can be a very dangerous tool. Yeah, and I'm even, I, I think perhaps when we use the term like pornography, quote unquote pornography, that we have certain illicit mm. understandings of that and and I'm I'm trying not to be a, like overly prudish here by any stretch of the imagination. Pornography takes on other other forms or mm-hmm. or other presentations. Any time that a that an element of a person is being lifted up as as the whole thing. So oh that romantic oh that romantic relationship that's being depicted here is is sort of evacuated from its context and lifted up as being the the thing, and and really setting up setting anyone up for a failure in relationship because then the expectation of what mm-hmm. authentic relationship looks like is just so, I mean, we can make jokes about Hallmark movies all day long mm-hmm. because the plot, I mean, it's, first of all, they're all recorded in the same place. So they're, they're filmed, they're filmed in, uh, in Vancouver, just to be very clear. And, uh, it's in the winter time and the, the, the high school lovers are, you know, that never got together in high school are finally like, it, it's so cliche but the the reason I point that out is is that there are clear elements that people have understood grip women, and it's always about that that love that was lost or that was missed, uh, and that that relationship that they've been longing for, and oh, and finally the the circumstances have collided here to finally make that thing magically happen. And it also happens to be a Christmas reunion, and there's a, a town pageant where they get to dance together, and all, whatever. I could go on and on about all of that, but it, it just it all of all of that really comes into I think really comes into play if we just kind of broaden our understanding of you know, we can say like oh there's this nasty website where pornography exists, but then. There are the same elements and the same concerns can can operate elsewhere. And I think that plays into our home. And I think sometimes we don't even make these guardrails 
um, visible. And we have to make it in our relationships. We have to make it in um, books. We have to make it in movies. And it's important to start right at the um, place and the TV, the computer, your apps, all that stuff, and be aware of what we're what we're actually getting into. I'm surprised by how well Joel understands Hallmark movies. Yeah. Frankly. Uh, that's a little I concerning may, to me. I may have done a little research for a sermon once. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. oh way to spiritualize it. Yeah. It was for a sermon. It was for a sermon. For a sermon. Right. But, here, but here's the issue, isn't it? In pornography, it's unmet expectations or mm-hmm. reality in life. Boy, I wish my spouse would or, or we're thinking of creative things mm-hmm. and, and, and we project that must be what she wants. I'm thinking from a guy's standpoint. That must be what she wants and, and very much uh, unmet expectations. But I look at the Hallmark side of things. Oh, I just wish my husband would treat me with that kind of compassion, tenderness, romance, and stuff like that. And in both situations, it's unmet expectations, which come back to marriage. And that says, boy, unhealthy marriage, because we're really not talking about, if you want to use another quote of a book, his needs, her needs, and such like that. What do you need in a relationship? How do I help fill that void, that that is obviously missing in your right. life too. And I'm not taking that part away from God's role by any means. So don't hear that. God plays that role of filling the void. Uh, we never do. We are never our spouse's savior in no way. However, I am required to meet the needs of my spouse and vice versa. We, we are in companionship together. And so these unmet expectations are driving a lot of the dissatisfaction. And I think, unfortunately, where, in my opinion, Stephen, and you can correct me or, or change my opinion, I guess, the reason I I think that women are starting to get more and more into this. I think guys are neglecting more and more responsibility and showing love and compassion to their spouses, and they're looking for love in other places. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, an, that's an opinion, but I just think we're on a rise because men have failed to understand what it is to be a good husband in a home. And I think it really starts, and I, I, know, I know I'm a broken record on this, but it starts by going back to the Word of God and, and the God of the Word. And, and when, when as, a, as a husband, when I keep God first and foremost in my heart and my life, his love is going to come out of me. And my wife is going to feel love, not because I'm loving her, but because God's loving her through me. Mm-hmm. And I think um, we sat here thinking, well, and, I, and I'm going I'm to change it just a little bit, but we grew up in like this purity culture. That if you um, save yourself from marriage and, you know, all this stuff that we see in the Hallmark movie, all this romance and all this great um, expectation of what marriage is supposed to be actually doesn't happen. And all of a sudden we have that resentment because unmet expectations Mm -hmm. do bring resentment. And so now we have um, Christian marriages struggling, Christian men, Christian women, and um and I know that as far as uh, what you've seen and what you've um, experienced in these last years in your ministry, how has the purity culture impacted um, us in the church in this issue of pornography and um, issues in marriage and relationships? I'd love to say that the church has stepped up to the plate and hit a home run with this, but I'm, I'd be lying. Um, the church is at large, at whole, is, is not addressing it. Um, there, and I think a lot of it is because they're afraid to. Um, it's, <clears throat> it is a topic that is, it is controversial. It is uh, uncomfortable. And we tend to want to avoid the controversy and the uncomfortableness. Um, but I do believe that it's something that we need to address. Um, 
we were talking earlier, uh, Pastor, about uh, statistics, and uh, one of the statistics, and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, so I'm, I'm not going to even venture to, to throw out a number, but I know that one of the statistics I recently saw is that there's a higher percentage of college age through um, you know mid uh, upper 20s that feel or believe it is more immoral to not recycle than it is to look at porn and engage in premarital sex. That is the culture. That is the mindset that is that is taken over today. So that's another thing that the church is running into is for our younger people especially, they don't see that it's wrong. And and so how do we help them to understand that? Um, that's the that's a big challenge. Well, and I think it starts very young. I mean, we've we've had this conversation in our home for a long time. Um, yeah, we we do live on a farm, and so our kids see a lot of um, you know a whole bunch of stuff. But if we don't have this conversation as parents with our kids, it really inhibits that conversation when they get older because it, it's natural at fourteen, fifteen years old to kind of withdraw from mom and dad after you have to go um, to health class and hear the discussion. But I think what you said. Steve, yesterday, um, even in the morning session, is the conversation, it has to come down to being a continuous thing. It, it, and it doesn't happen all at once. There may be a, a moment that you have a little bit of talk with your kids, and it leads into this, because when they, um, if you don't, the, the percentage of um, what you had listed with a, a freshmen going into college and just the uh, magnitude of when a, a child isn't under his parents or mm-hmm. her parents' um, supervision, what happens, and that all you know craziness breaks loose. Uh, talk a little bit about this from the parenting side for us for a little bit and how we can um, maybe put up some guardrails and sure. do this. I think one thing, Angie, to, to springboard off of something you just said, um, and I'm sure you you all have heard this statement before, but if you don't talk to your kids about it, somebody is. Mm-hmm. Someone is talking with them about it. So they need to hear it from you. Um, but it's it's more than just sitting down and having the birds and the bees conversation. Uh, you know, that's years ago. I mean, that's how I grew up. Uh, you know, I got the one, one talk and, uh, you know, my dad said, okay, I'm sure you're good now. Um, we're, we're clear, right? And <laughs> yeah, yeah, dad, sure. <laughs> Um, but it really begins not having the, the, the sex conversation as much as just having conversations and engaging in, in family discussion about stuff, about life, and, and creating within that family environment a trust level where my kids know they can come to me about anything. And I'm not going to laugh at them. I'm not going to make fun of them. I'm not going to diminish or, you know, um, Lessen what uh, what they're coming to me with. It's it's important to them. It's important to me, and hopefully, as I build and develop that trust, then it's going to be reciprocated. What's important to me, they're going to pick up and say, "Hey, if it's important to dad and mom, then it's got to be important to me as well." Yeah, that safe environment for you to feel that you can have that, that you're not going to shame them. You're not going to condemn them. You're going to actually offer your love, support, and understanding. And so, yeah, um, we have this, sometimes we laugh about it because we have conversations around the dinner table because what happens at school when you're in um, junior high nowadays, you know, sometimes it brings a lot of conversation around. How do you even handle, I mean, I get worried about the bus. What about you, Joel? Yeah, uh, I like to say that the school bus is the den of ill repute uh <laughs> it's it's 40 minutes of just uh it's like uh wild kingdom out there um 
and I think so much of so much of what I mean the thing that you know quote unquote keeps me up at night is is all the amount of time that my kids are for lack of a better term vulnerable to what what's coming in where I where I can't keep them from from everything and and I don't, I don't want to sound fatalist at all but I I have kind of come to this realization of like okay my my boys so I have, I have three boys and a little girl um, I've got a sixth grader and a fifth grader right now and they are in that prime age range where they're where I just know statistically they're they're being exposed to some of these these things or maybe exposed to some of these things for the first time and there there's a dread that that I have a, a sense of because my wife and I've been talking about this a lot recently this this sense of powerlessness that we have of like we can make things a certain way in our home yes but there's a lot of time they're not in our home anymore. There's a lot of time and and we can, you know, we can do the research on the kids that they're hanging out with, like whose house they're going to or, or whatever. And we can do all of our due diligence. But Steve, is it fair to say that at some point, and this is part of our trust in what God is going to do in their life and, and all of that. But is there at some point, Steve, uh, like, do we, do we have to release our children how do we release them well into the into the world in light of the fact that we can't always keep them safe um and knowing that it just feels like for me like my boys are going to see stuff eventually like it 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 feels i don't and i'm trying not to be like pessimistic about that but it's like it almost feels like no matter what i do at the end of the day something is going to break through that i don't want to break through mm. and in how Help counsel me, Steve. Help, help, <laughs> help me, help me, because I, I know I think I'm what I'm sharing. I've heard plenty. I've had lots of other conversations with parents that are in my similar kind of life stage and whatever. And there is a sense of powerlessness that I think we feel with regard to what our kids are exposed to outside. I mean, again, just trying to do everything that we can do, but like at some point, it's like uh, I can't prevent everything. So, so what now? I think part of it is to remember who really has control. Uh, you don't have control. Um, the only thing that you can control is yourself. So it's really a matter of, of keeping the faith and trust in God. And uh, I, I, we come back to something that we alluded to or at least uh, touched base on briefly a few moments ago. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that is the importance of having daily conversation with them. Um, when they come home from school, you're making sure you're sitting down with them and saying, let's talk. What happened at school today? Um, and, and especially as you start getting into the junior high years, you, they're clamming up. They're, they're, you know, they're, you're pulling teeth, pull teeth. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you're, 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 you're fighting an uphill battle, yes. But if you maintain that communication, you maintain that conversation, it will come back and bless you at some point in time. Um, you know, the, the, there's a scripture verse in the book of Proverbs that says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. Doesn't say when he's young, right? When he's old, so you just you stay consistent with the truth of God's word and trust the fact that when you're not there, God is, and and you know He is really the the children that God has blessed you with. They're a gift of investment. They're not really yours. They belong to the heavenly Father, and so uh, you just you need to invest in their lives. Just pour into them and and trust. Guys, I want to shift gears for just a second. 
I have been impressed, Angie, with how you laid out this home series, because in many ways, every one of these topics has had some kind of linkage to another. Uh, for example, we started with health and wellness. Uh, we talked about anxiety and depression for a couple of weeks. We've talked about addiction, technology, and, and so on, now sexual impurity uh, and doing that. Steve, you mentioned something yesterday, and I really valued how you went about saying it, uh, that there is a physiological problem as well. I, I like that that uh, as you walk through the pitfalls, we're not just saying to people, hey, stop this, uh, or try harder, or even look at the spiritual component, but there's the physiological things. There's a hormonal thing. And you said something yesterday, and I don't have my notebook right in front of me, but but sometimes when darkness, depression, we get to the point where, where there's discomfort in our life, the trigger is, I just like a drug, I have to have my fix. And in men, this this sometimes comes to this point, but one thing that you you put in a handout to us was the cycle of addiction. And I think this is apropos not just to this topic of sexual purity, but obviously the addiction to drugs, alcohol, and other types of uh, things that are not good for us. We didn't really get to this much yesterday. Would you kind of just talk to us just briefly about this cycle of addiction? Because I do think that one of the triggers in a lot of people's lives is, man, things aren't going my way. I need something to turn around. I need that fix. Yeah. And again, what, what, what drives it is the I want, I need, I desire, I deserve, I have to have, I can't live without. It's King Me sitting on the throne. But you're always going to have a point of decision. You're going to face a temptation. Uh, and, and with every temptation comes a promise. If you, if you do this one more time, just, just one more time, you're going to feel good. If you give in just this one more time, you're going to experience relief from your stress, your frustration, your boredom, whatever your trigger point is. Just just give in this one more time. So you have this this moment where you can make a choice. Angie, you referred earlier to Matthew six twenty four. You can't serve two masters. You're going to love one or and hate the other, or cling to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both. So so when I'm at that point of decision, when I'm I'm facing my temptation, I'm with King me on the throne. I want relief. I want. I don't like the discomfort of of the trigger, that that the stress, the frustration, whatever. So, I'm going to make a decision. Either I'm going to give in by worshiping myself because I want, I need, I deserve, and and this this sin, this this habit has taught me. If I give in, I'll get that instant pop. I'll get the instant rush, and I'll take my lumps later. But you have a moment where you can choose. Either to have a godly response, no, I'm not going to do this. James 4, 7, I'm going to submit myself to God, and I'm going to resist the devil, and he will flee from me. That's a promise from Scripture. Or I'm going to choose to escape, and I'm going to give in to the temptation. And so what starts there is this rationalization that's going on inside your head. You have an argument that's going on. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, powerful verse to apply here. It says, demolish the arguments and the lofty opinions that, that, that set themselves up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought and make each thought obedient to Christ. So as I'm rationalizing, I'm beginning to excuse, I still have the ability to choose. I still have the opportunity to say, no, this is wrong, this is sin. This is a, 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether I eat, drink, or whatever I do, I'm to glorify God. This isn't glorifying God. I'm not going to do it. Or I'm going to begin to the, the process of going through the ritual. Everybody has a ritual. When, when we are giving into our temptation, there's a ritual we go through. There's a process. And for, for many of us who have been addicted, the process is almost instantaneous. But there's a series of things that go on. And in that ritual, you're beginning to make a series of choices. 
that's leading you to using your, your drug of choice. But you still have a point of decision. You can still choose not to. You can still take captive those thoughts. But when you get to the point of relief, which is the third step of the cycle of addiction, then you, you've given in. And, and <laughs> what, what creates the cycle is after I've given in, I experienced the relief, now I experience remorse. I've got the guilt. I've got the shame. And I'm feeling worse, not better. And so this just perpetuates the cycle because now I'm back at the, at the beginning of the cycle again. I'm not feeling good. I need to feel good. So here we go again. And, uh, you know, I just think about with the, the remorse piece. And, Steve, I mean, have you encountered people? And maybe I'm, I'm wondering about what happens after that cycle has occurred over and over and over again to the point where, and this is what concerns me for folks that, you know, that, that I've met with where the sense of remorse is actually beginning to, to lessen mm-hmm. at least overtly. I, I, I think it, there can still be a remorse, but there, that the person is no longer aware of anymore, but where it's just like, I don't feel as bad about doing the thing that I have been doing as I, as I used to. Um, for you, is that, I mean, that's a real warning sign. Is there, what then what when when the sense of of conviction around those things because we want to differentiate not not shame but but conviction around those things is beginning to wane and and distance itself from the from the individual where are we then what 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 are we to do at at that point and and i'm i'm asking specifically for the individual that might might be like in that place in their mind and for the people maybe an accountability group or whatever because I've been in a situation before with an accountability group where there's a person who's clearly, I mean, to use to use vulgar language, they're on a real bender. You know, mm-hmm. they're they're going, they're going into a dark place, and it seems as though their ability to care about this as deeply or to be convicted about it is is beginning to wane. From those two perspectives, what what do we what would you have to say to that? Well, what's happening is um, from a biblical perspective, they're developing a hard heart. Um, you you know, it's it's like if, if I sliced open the palm of my hand, uh, it's going to hurt, and it's going to hurt bad, and all of my attention is going to go to trying to, to, to take care of the wound and, and he, let it heal. But as it heals, if I, if I slice it again, it's going to open back up, it's going to bleed, it's going to hurt. But if I keep doing that over and over and over again, that spot eventually is going to develop scar tissue, and it's going to be harder and harder and harder to, to cut through, let alone for me to even feel it. And at that point in time, um, and I've, I've had people that have come to me for counseling and I've been working with them and they're not showing the remorse. They're not showing the, the experiencing the guilt and the shame the way they should be. Um, <clears throat> that's usually where I, I start saying, okay, in Romans, I think it's chapter one, where God gives uh, people over to a reprobate heart. Um, I think that's what's starting to happen. Not that they're losing their salvation or they're, they're going way off the, the base, but, but more along the lines of they've lost the sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And that's where, you know, I will, I will counsel you as long as you're willing to sit and, and listen. But if you're not going to do what I'm telling you to do, we're wasting time. Um, there are facilities out there. There's, in, in fact, there's a couple of, of uh, organizations that I highly recommend. And I've had some times where I've had to refer a counselee to a residential type program where there's six to eight months in, in this residential program to detoxify, if you will. Yeah. And, and I, 
And I think that's the hardest thing for, especially within Christian community, and really any community where if you see someone struggling, but then they continue to do kind of some same self-destructive behaviors or whatever, we just want to think like, am I not trying hard enough? Am I not? Um, and sometimes, and this is true with other, with, with any addiction, sometimes the best thing that you can do is to release that person mm-hmm. to God's intervention. Now, in my own life, I have to say that that there's been a few times when younger Joel uh, had to have God's intervention be the the primary means, and it was not pleasant. And I I don't, you know, we don't wish that upon anybody, so to speak. But sometimes that is that is the only that is the only thing left. And and you loving someone well, I I and tell me if you agree with this. You loving someone well is to release them to okay, God's. God's work in them is going to maybe take a different shape or form at, in this in this season. And we have to be, not that it feels great, but we have to be okay with, again, kind of to the point of even what we do with children, releasing them to to God's instruction, to mm-hmm. God's direction, to his, to, to his <laughs> discipline. And boy, if that ain't hard, but, you know, I, I think that, that is a, that's a reality as well. Um, that we well, have to be okay and, with. And I'll tell you what, it's it's far better to release them into the hands of a loving God that, that'll discipline them and work on them than to try and hold on to them in my own hands and, and let the world have hold of them. Right, right. And if you're trying to counsel someone who doesn't think they need counseling, you're probably the one that needs counseling. So I, that's uh, that's one of my one of my counseling professors years ago, and I've I've hung on to that one because because then you actually start as the helper, you start actually can start doing damage to yourself and and the rest of the group or whatever if it's like trying to basically micromanage their their transformation as opposed mm-hmm. to God doing His work. So. Angie? Yes. Um, Steve, you brought some books with you um, yesterday and some of the things that you've um, put out there as resources. And so um, share a little bit. Everything is listed on our website Mm -hmm. and um, some of the things and how to get in touch with you is some of these things you've already um, put in print that give um, maybe one of your favorite resources um, that you would recommend that you have out there. Wow. Um, <laughs> I know there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot. I, I guess one of my most favorite ones, I do a podcast. Uh, every Thursday morning, I release a podcast and uh, it's called the Point of Purity Podcast. And it's a 20 to 40 minute long podcast where we just dive into the Word of God and we're studying the scriptures together. Um, if you're looking for a resource uh, as far as any of the books that I've written, the one that is probably my most favorite is the first one that I ever wrote. It's called Extreme Mind Makeover, How to Transform Your Sinful Thoughts and Habits into Patterns of Life that Are Pleasing to God. Um, I have an app that is available on uh, all f- smart devices that uh, it's free. It's called My Purity Coach, and uh, it'll take you into the Word of God. And it, there's, there's podcasts there. There's videos. There's uh, all kinds of scripture verses, just a lot of tools. But uh, if, if you're looking for some other ideas, I'd encourage you to go to my website and, and check it out. Steve, I want to thank you for being with us. Uh, This has been a good thing on Sunday. I enjoyed our time. I wish I had more time on Sunday to talk with you uh, in front of our our group of people. Uh, I've appreciated you being here on the podcast. Uh, To the listener, one thing that I want to really uh, emphasize is you've heard a lot on Sunday. You also heard a lot on this podcast of, of Steve quoting scripture. 
I want you, the listener, to realize he has no scripture sitting in front of him. <laughs> he simply has committed it to memory. He's committed it to his heart, and I think that's key. Mm-hmm. Uh, the key is we uh, we have a biblical illiteracy issue, I think, in our world today, and even in our church culture. Hide the word of God in our hearts, and then in these challenging moments, it's amazing how the Lord brings that back. So I simply wanted to thank you for modeling that. You've modeled that thank well, you. and I believe that's something that this culture today needs to emphasize in a greater way. Yeah, and we uh, we just recognize, I mean, we, we have a few tools that are made available to us as the body of Christ, but they are powerful. Um, and and if we, oh, I, we could go on and on about if we would, if we would quiet ourselves, if we would sit before God, if we would, we, if we would make space for those things, um, transformation is, is, is absolutely possible. And we, we sit here in this room, we've had a, we're many, many conversations of, you know, we're, we're broken people too. Um, all of us have had a a story in our, in, uh, in our lives, a a season in our lives, um, where man, it felt like this was the darkest day. This was a thing that we were never going to get out of, or, or we, we felt like we were so under resourced to make the right decision. And, 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 and I think I know if we went around this table, the story is is that and yet God showed up and mm. God did work that we we would never have imagined. Like we just would never have imagined. And and we don't say that as just like professional religious people. We say that as people that are just trying to follow after Jesus, love Jesus, and 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 share His love with other people. And uh, and for those of you that are listening, I mean, I I really in my heart of hearts and all of our heartbeat here is is that you hear loud and clear that there is hope in Jesus, there is healing available, there's a new life available to you. And um, we want to be the kind of community that just keeps on saying that, that keeps on, that keeps on sharing that Jesus, 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 we can't, we can't say it enough. And so, um, yeah, I want you to know, we love you, we care about you. Um, and uh, today, everything that we've talked about, um, the resources that Steve has available, if you head over to walkiemc.org, W-A-K-Y-M-C.org, we've got our at-home tab. And uh, under that, after every single Sunday session and episode, there's there's all the resources that um, our speakers are providing and making available links and documents and all that good stuff. Um, please come and check it out. And uh, we uh, would just love to put you in contact with Steve as well. If, if that's something that would be helpful to you um, again, we're just trying to be a place, uh, a, a, a hospital for, for hurting souls that just shows people the great physician. Boy, that sounded super pastoral, didn't it? Wow. Yeah. Um, but we, we, we believe in it wholeheartedly. So friends, uh, Steve, again, thank you, brother. Appreciate you being here. It's an honor uh, and a privilege. We're thank you. Super grateful. Um, and guys, we just look forward to uh, coming to you again next week as well. Um, thanks for listening. Uh, appreciate each and every one of you. And, uh, we look forward to the next time we gather together. So until then, grace and peace to each of you. Thanks. At home, the podcast is produced by Wakarusa Missionary Church in Wakarusa, Indiana. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and share this episode. Additional resources related to each episode can be found by visiting walkiemc.org. That's W-A-K-Y-M-C.org. From there, you can click on the At Home tab for more information. Thanks for listening.